Amen. God's good, is he not? Amen. Amen. God's good. Amen. And I love him. We're going to be looking tonight for just a few moments. Acts chapter number 13, verse number 22. We want to just start there as a launching point. We'll get out uh, farther in the waters tonight, if you will. But uh, I've been reading a lot about King David. and uh, Seems like the boss that I have at work, he, he likes to come in, just sit down in my office, and he's a saved man, and a, that's a blessing to have a boss that's knows the Lord, and he'll come in, and he'll talk about what he's been reading about, and he'll talk about the, what his preacher said, and all these things, and we, he talks about David a lot, so he's got my curiosity picked about him, and he's, he, he talks to me, he thinks what he might have looked like, what he might have been like, but I know this, Bible's, he's the only one that the Bible mentions that he's a man after God's heart, and he got me to thinking, what, what would it take to be a man after God's heart? What would it be like? What would, that, what would that entail? I don't have a clue. But I know this. We can read about what David left us. We can read about his life. We can read about his story. And I'm glad that the Bible gives us some examples that we can follow of how we can live our own lives. And if you will, for just a little bit, follow along with me in the Word of God. And we're going to try to see how David become a man after God's own heart. And maybe tonight you can become Someone after God's own heart as well. Amen. But if you got your Bible tonight, Acts 13, 22 says this. And when he had removed him, and this is God talking about Saul. He took, him, he took his hand of blessing off him as king over Israel. He raised up unto them David to be their king. To whom also he gave their testimony and said, I have found David the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. And we may think of King David, and when we think of him, there's many things that come to mind. But I want us to keep this in mind tonight, the scripture that we just read, that he's a man after the heart of God. Let's pray for just a moment. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you once again for the privilege to be in your house. And God, I pray that you'll just get us out of the way. God, help us to get in your word tonight. And God, I know that you've got something good for us. Because, God, we've been looking at this all day. And, God, I pray that you'll bless the reading of your word. God, bless your man as he tries to stand. Because there's nothing good about me. But, God, I'm glad that I'm serving one that's better than anything this world has to offer. Lord, we love you. Thank you for being so good to us. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. But like I said, when we think of King David, there's so many things that come to mind. And we know that David, he's a direct descendant from Ruth and Boaz. And we know their story of how that Boaz redeemed Ruth when we, so we see this little girl, our, this woman out gleaning in the field trying to feed herself and her mother-in-law. Boaz became her kinsman redeemer. And not, they didn't know that further down the line that they was going to get, their, their lineage was going to give birth to the Savior of this world. Amen. We can follow that in, in, in the book of Chronicles and see how that their lineage is lined up. But Boaz and Ruth are the great-grandparents of King David. Now that's just a significant thing. Redemption just runs in their family. We see it in David's life. We saw it in Ruth's life by Boaz redeeming her. David, how he was, we know the story of him, but how it led down to the true redeemer that was going to come and die to redeem the, the souls of men all across this world. His name was Jesus Christ. There ain't nobody like him, amen. But my mind goes back to 1 Samuel 16 where the little shepherd boy was in the field and we start here seeing the power 
of David the warrior. Number one tonight, I want us to look at the power of David the warrior. And I got to thinking how mighty this man David was and we can read about all that he did. Surely this is what made him part, or part, at least part of it, was what made him a man after God's own heart. And if we read back to 1 Samuel 16, we find David here, he's not full grown yet. He's still just a little shepherd boy out tending the flocks for his father. And God sent the prophet to come and anoint the new king because like we read earlier, God had lifted Saul's blessing from him and God had rejected him and God wanted to have a new king lined up. So they come, they sent uh, the prophet to to find uh, the sons of Jesse. When Samuel came to the field there, no doubt he told Jesse, I've come in peace and I've come to anoint a king. And he said, line your sons up so that I can inspect them. Line them all up here so that I can see them. No doubt the first one's name was Eliab, and he was the oldest. No doubt he was probably the biggest at the time. And from his point of view, he saw that this man was probably the most one that looked like a king. This is what a king should look like. This is what a king is. Surely, God, this is the one that I'm going to anoint. But we know from reading on that God rejected him and rejected all the other brothers of King David. And he went through every son that was in that lineup, but God rejected every one of them. So this is not one. So he said, do you have any other sons? He said, yeah, but I've got this little fella. He's just out minding my sheep. He's just a lad. He's ruddy. He ain't worth looking at. Certainly he's not king material. But what does scripture say? Man seeth things different than how God looks at it. We look up on the outward appearance. God looks what's in the heart. He said, go fetch him. Bring him here that we can look at him. And he brought him in and God, and God told uh, Samuel, this is the one. So he anointed him right here to be king. It ain't very long till we start seeing him or reading about him after he tended the flock. And once he was anointed, he didn't go straight to being king. He went back out doing what his, about his father's business. He went back to work. And we read the story of how, uh, how a bear came up against the flock and he slew the bear. With his own might. And then a lion came up and he slew the lion with his own might, with the power of God. And then we start reading on to see how, and we start to see how mighty of a warrior that David's going to be. And then we know the story of how he faced the giant. Amen. We know the story. And I want to just, I don't want to mess nothing of that up. I want to get to the scripture part of that. Looking at 1 Samuel 17. But that's where my mind goes when we think of David as the warrior. His battle with Goliath. Now we see the Israelite and the Philistine army lined up on opposing hills. And Goliath would come out every day taunting the Israelites and challenge them to decide the battle with the duel. Him against one of their champions. He was a mighty man. He was a big man. He was their mighty champion. Who would the Israelites send? We find the story in 1 Samuel 17, verse number 1. It says, Now when the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle, and were gathered together at Shulketh, which belongeth to Judah, and pitched between Shulketh and Azekiah in Ephesdamim, and Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah, and set the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, Israel stood on another mountain, on a mountain on the other side. And there was a valley in between them. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. 
If we read that, it says he was over nine feet tall. That's a big man, a mighty man. And he had a helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. And he had greaves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And one bearing a shield went before him. And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are ye come out to set your battle in array? Am I not a Philistine and these servants to Saul? Choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and kill, if he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then we'll, we'll be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then ye shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. None of the Israelites wanted to take him up on his offer. None of the, the, the seasoned warriors were brave enough to go stand because they could see the stature of this man. They could see the armor that he bore was so heavy that none of them could probably even lift it. Said his spear was the size of a weaver's beam. How mighty a man Goliath was in their eyes. And I'm thinking how many times do we see something standing in our way look so big and so tall and so huge to us we fail to remember how big our God is. Amen. That's what the Israelites did here. They failed to remember where God had brought them from. They failed to remember, looking back, how good God had been to them, how, how mighty works that they had done when they crossed out of Egypt on the Red Sea on dry land. They served the God of glory, but they forgot because they were scared of a man. But King David one day was coming down he was bringing, he wanted to come, he played for Saul, and he was bringing supplies to his brothers from his dad. And he heard this giant calling out upon the hillside. Boy, you don't, I just ruffled his feathers up, flew all over him and said, who is this infidel that can defy the God of heaven? That's my king they're talking about. Every once in a while, it'll be all right for us to take up arms when we hear somebody out in the world despairing our, the, God, the name of our God. Amen, it's all right to take a stand for him. Why? Because he stood for you one day, amen. It's all right to take a stand. But King David come down and he said unto Saul, thy servant kept his father's sheep. There came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he rose against me, I caught him by the beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, go and the Lord be with thee. What we got to realize here, Goliath wasn't just taunting the nation of Israel. He was taunting God. God of heaven, amen. He was defying God on God's own turf right here. And every day that Israel declined, Goliath's challenge, they were conceding that their God was not a, no match for the gods of the Philistines. And David was not going to let this happen and go on any longer. And he convinced Saul to let him go and challenge Goliath. And David chose five smooth stones. We all know the story of how that happened, amen. And Goliath mocked him and he cursed him. And then David famously replied, Right here in 1 Samuel 17, 45. 
says this, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, of, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defined this day. Well, you talk about faith that he had. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And we read on down and we know that God delivered on David's promise. The one that he was trusting in is, is the one that allowed David to take the head off that giant. And it reads over the armor that Goliath had. But it mentioned it didn't say anything about his face being covered. And God knew where that stone needed to set when he, when he flung it from the sling. That's how our God works. He knows how to work in the tough situations. Amen. He knows how to take the giants down in our paths and in our lives. But God used David in a mighty way. We see how powerful of a man he really was. And we would imagine that this mighty warrior is a man after God's own heart. But I say to you this evening that God's not impressed by our power. God's not impressed by your might or by my might. Amen. God's not impressed. The strongest man on the earth is no match for the God of heaven. Amen. The most athletic man on the earth pales in comparison to the one that spoke this whole universe into existence. Isaiah tells us like this, Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? That's how big our God, he measured out all the waters like that. Meted out the heavens with a span. Amen. Throughout the stars, throughout the universe. Amen. That's how powerful our God is. And comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure. Weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. So I'd say to you tonight, we serve a big, big God. He is all powerful, almighty, amen. And our might is nothing compared to him. So I say this, the power that David had does not make him a man after God's own heart. No, no. Secondly tonight, I want us to look at the position of King David. If we dig into the scripture, this is what me and you were talking about earlier, we find that David was anointed king not once, not twice, but three times he was anointed. And can I say time out right there? There ain't nothing like the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Amen. There ain't nothing like when he comes by, when you're in your alone time with him, and he comes and settles down inside your heart, and you have fellowship with him, and then you feel him surging through your body. Friend, can I tell you something? If you don't know what it's like to have communion and fellowship with God, I encourage you tonight to come, get your face in an altar, and get to know the God of heaven. Amen. Because there ain't nothing like the anointing on your life. He can do things with, with, with our feeble attempts. He can do great and mighty things with even the least of us. And I'm considered one of the least because I fail him every day. I fail him all the time. But yet he chooses to use vessels like me because not because of our ability, but because we make ourselves available for him to use. Are you making yourself available for him? Frank, can I tell you something? He wants you to be available for him. And if you do this, you can have great power through him. But the first time that we see David... Anointed, it was by the prophet Samuel like we just talked about. 
1 Samuel 16, 13 says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. And we see that's what made a difference in his life. He had the Spirit of God with him everywhere he went. But the second time we see him anointed, it was by the elders of Judah and Hebron right after the death of King Saul. 2 Samuel 2 and 1 says, And it, shall, and it came to pass after this, that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said unto him, Go up. And David said, Whither shall I go? And I like this. He's seeking the advice of God himself on his life right there. And he said, Unto Hebron. So David went up thither, and his two wives, also Ahinoam, the Jezreelite, and Abigail, Nabal's wife, the Carmelite. And his men that were with him did David bring up every man with his household and dwelt in the cities of Hebron. And the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. Oh, we see him starting to gain power in a position here of being king already. But the third time he was anointed king, it was by the whole nation of Israel. Both Judah and Israel came together to anoint him king. Second Samuel 5 tells us, Then came all the tribes of Israel, not just Judah, all the tribes to David under Hebron and spake saying, Behold, we are thy bone and we are thy flesh. Also in time past, when Saul was king over us, thou was he that led us out and brought us in Israel. And the Lord said to thee, Thou shalt feed my people Israel and thou shalt be a captain over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king of Hebron and King David made a league with them in Hebron before the Lord and they anointed David king over Israel. The second and the third anointings were kind of looked like, like a follow-up and an extension by the first anointing by, by Samuel the prophet. And we find that there were different battles that he faced each time that he was anointed. If you want the anointing of God, friend, can I tell you something? The devil's going to have challenges for you to face when you, have, when you have the anointing on your life. He's not going to come and bother somebody that's not anointed with the Holy Ghost. If you're not living your fullest to God, the devil's not going to really bother you because he's already got you. But can I tell you something? If you want the anointing of God, you can expect to have spiritual battles and challenging in your life. After the first one, David fought and killed Goliath. Then he had to deal with all the jealousy of Saul. His family was then attacked by the Amalekites and he rescued them when he took his, his army up to Ziklag and restored his family. After the second anointing, David had to fight a long war with the armies, with the armies that had followed Saul. And then there was all the jealousy of all the other tribes of Israel toward the leadership of the tribe of Judah. And then they anointed a king and when David was king over the nation, he it brought great glory, great, brought prosperity to the nation. And it brought the central worship back to Jerusalem. However, it brought a different kind of challenge for him. There was internal fighting within his family. There were wars with all these other nations around. Then he had to deal with the adultery and the corruption in his own life. There were great challenges that he had to face because he was anointed. And we find that David ruled. And reigned for approximately 40 years total. Seven years in Hebron. 33 years in Jerusalem. For a total of about 40 years. And we know that David was a mighty king. Over Israel. And it was so powerful. That we know from scripture. That his throne has been promised to live. Throughout the ages. 
Samuel prophesied to David in 2 Samuel 7, 16, said this, And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. And we can find in Luke chapter number 1, when they're announcing the birth of our Savior, the proof and evidence that his throne will continue on through the ages. It says this, He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest, Talking about Jesus here. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And even though the throne of David shall last forever, God was not impressed with his position. Philippians 2, 9 says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and giveth him a name above every name. That's the name of Jesus. Amen. That's the position that God cares about. He anointed his son, put him in a position of power. He was sitting at the right hand of the father to die. Make an intercession for me to you. Amen. That's how powerful of a position that he has. God's not impressed with your position in life. You may rule or, 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 or be the king of England. You may have a, a leadership over a company. It doesn't matter how, how high your power level is tonight. Friend, God's not impressed with that. It doesn't matter to God. Why would God be impressed his position is higher than anybody else's. Why? How do we know that? He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. Amen. He is from everlasting to everlasting. The Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. That's the one we're serving tonight. That's how powerful his position is. And no matter, you may be the most powerful man on earth. Your power, your position is fleeting at best. When compared to the eternal eternity that God has been in control. So I say to you tonight that your position is not what makes you somebody after God's own heart. David's position did not make him a man after God's heart. But I believe tonight what made David a man after God's heart was the prayer of David the fallen. We've looked at the power of of David the warrior, no doubt he was a mighty man. We look at the position of David the king. And he was ruler over all of Israel. And he had a mighty big position. And I'll be honest, I have trouble relating to David as the warrior. I've never had to fight a bear or a lion or a giant. Never had to fight in wars. I've never had to do any of that. I've never had to rule a nation. I've never had any power or, or any position of power on this earth. I can't relate to that, but oh, I can relate to this last one. I can relate to the prayer of David the fallen. And that's the side of David that I can relate to. That's the, this is a side of failure, and that is the side of one that is a sinner. And I may not have sinned exactly like David here that we're going to read about, but there have been times when I've sure made a mess in my own life. There's been times that I've faltered. There's been times that I've failed. No doubt, if you're under the sound of my voice, there's times in your own life, if you can think back that you've messed up and you thought that God would never love you again, you thought that God would never use you again. Frank, can I tell you something? I think we're going to read here about the prayer of David the fallen and see how to become somebody after God's heart. In 2 Samuel 11, we find in the scripture how that David shirked his duty as the king and the leader of God's army, this mighty, powerful man, this man of position as king. He decided to stay home from the battlefield while his soldiers were out fighting. 
While walking along his rooftop, we all know the story of this, how he peered down and saw Bathsheba there on her rooftop taking a bath. If he had been where he was supposed to be, he wouldn't have seen this. Sometimes we get in trouble because we're not where God tells us to be. We're somewhere where we shouldn't be, and then we get messed up. So David sees her, and he lusts in his own heart after her, and he wants to be with her. So he calls for her to come to the palace. Frank, can I tell you something? When the king makes a call for you like this, you can't ignore the invitation of the king. She couldn't say no. And she is complicit in this too, but she couldn't say no because he was the king over all the land. His word ruled. Why? Because he was the most powerful man. His position was the highest in the land. She had to do what her king said. But he shouldn't have been here to start with. And a lot of times we get in trouble because we go places we shouldn't go. We do things we shouldn't do. We see things we shouldn't see. We give our attention to things that, that, that are just not of God that gets us in trouble along the way. And that's what we see King David doing here. And we know the results of this. Soon she's found with child and her husband's on the battlefield. So David has it in his own mind that he's going to fix this problem that he's got. So he calls Uriah home from the battlefield, says, go enjoy an evening with your wife. Go and enjoy some time with her before I send you back off into your battle. Take some rest. Take your time. Take some ease. And David has figured out that this is how he's going to trick the whole nation into believing that he's not done anything wrong. What he didn't realize that Uriah was a a valiant man. He was a man of honor. He said, I will not do this thing. He slept at the gate till it was time for him to go back in the battle. He defied the word of the king. And because he did that, David had him killed. He had him sent into the front lines of the hottest battle there was. Had him murdered to try to cover up his sins so he wouldn't get caught. Frank, can I tell you something? You may devise the most brilliant plan down here to get away with, or think you can get away with something. And you might get away with it from earthly men, but can I tell you something? God's always watching God sees what you do in secret. God sees everything about you. God even knows our thoughts before we think them. Who are we to think that we can fool God Almighty? But we see here that's what David has kind of done in his heart. The power has gone to his head. The position that he has has gone to his head. But before we start pointing a finger at David, well, I've got to point one at me. My mind goes back to this old saying and, and there was even a song wrote about it that says sin will take you farther than you wanted to go. It'll cost you more than you want to pay. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. Boy, there's a truth to that. And we can read the testimony that David has to see how that sin never left his doorstep, how the sword of God never left his door because of his sin in secret. But I'm glad beyond that we have a God in heaven who's full of grace, who's full of mercy. When we mess up along the way, we can come and kneel down before him. Amen. So this is what I see making David a king after God's own heart. A lot of times the only difference between us and those that are in jail is the only fact that we didn't get caught doing some of the same things they did. David got caught up in his sin. How do we know that David got caught up? Because the prophet Nathan came to him and told him 
that uh, he said there was a, a poor man who had a little lamb. And the king who had flocks on all these hills sent for his lamb because he wanted it to be a sacrifice uh, for him and for his guests. And that just riled David's feathers up. He said, how could anybody come and take a poor man's lamb when a man that the king has everything a man could want? Why wouldn't he take of his own? And I can see David here thinking all these things. Then he says, who is this? Tell me who this is and I'll make it right. And Nathan pointed at him. He said, thou art the man. He took the little lamb of his general in battle, took the only thing that he had for himself and he had access to all that he had. And he took advantage of all, this, all of his power and all of his position. And David realizes that he's committed a terrible sin. Now he has to confront his sin. And after his encounter with Nathan, David wrote Psalm 51, one of the sweetest psalms you'll ever read in the Word of God. And it reflects his humility and it reflects his repentance over what, from what he had done. So I want you to turn with me to Psalm 51. We're going to read through it real quick. Boy, you talk about powerful. This is what I believe made David a man after God's heart. And it was his prayer to God after he had fallen. Psalm 51.1 says, Have mercy upon me, O God. How many times have we messed up along the way? And that's the only thing we can get out of our mouth. Is that God, have mercy on me because I've messed up. I've made a mess of things. I can't fix it on my own. I don't know where to go from here. God, would you have mercy on me? That's how we see David calling out to God here. According to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me throughly. Oh, I love the King James word here. Wash me throughly. The other translations say thoroughly. But oh, throughly means something else to me entirely. It means wash me from the soles of my feet to the crown of my head. Wash me from the inside to out. Wash me throughly, God. Which if you clean me up, God, I know I'll be cleaned up right. He tried to clean it up himself. Oh, he made just such a mess of it. And he finally gave it over to God. Wash me throughly. Oh, I've sinned. God, I have nothing in me. I'm wicked. I'm vile. And I've done all these things. But God, if you'll have mercy. God, if you'll come to where I am. Wash me throughly. Oh, make me clean one more time. For I acknowledge my transgressions. Verse number three. And my sin is ever before me. Against thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother deceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden parts shalt thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Sometimes God wants us just to come and be honest with him. Verse number 6, it says, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. David had to look inside his heart to see that he was a wicked man. He was a powerful man on the outside, but on the inside, he was wicked. On the outside, he had great position, but on the inside, he was unclean. He was filthy. He was disgusting. And he brought it and laid it out before God. Boy, how many times have we come into church, we come and put our best clothes on, 
We've been out in the filth of the world and we've done things all week long, but yet we come in the house of God thinking that we're going to fold God. We're going to come in and feel His Spirit moving in our hearts. God's not going to make Himself flow through an unworthy vessel tonight. God wants to inhabit a clean house. And sometimes we just got to come and bring it to Him. Say, God, I messed up. And I feel like I just repeat. I say, it's me again, Lord. There's a song like that. It's me again, Lord. I've got a prayer that I need you to answer. God, I've come and I've messed up one more time. Oh, I messed up again. But I'm glad that God has never once turned me away when I come to him, amen. A lot of times I think I've covered it up. He knows all about me. He knows all about you. He knows where you've been. He knows what you've done. We'll read on down. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. I'm glad when God cleans somebody up, boy, he does it right. We saw some get saved last Wednesday night. It's a miracle every time we get to witness something like that, how he can take a dirty, vile, rotten sinner and clean him up and make him something worthy of the kingdom of God. It ain't nothing about them, but they come and let down before the king of glory. Amen. Call out and give their trust and their life to him. He's the one that makes the difference. It ain't nothing about us. It's all about him, amen. And I'm glad when he cleans something up, boy, he cleans it up right. Amen. There ain't no secondhand jobs with him. There ain't no shoddy craftsmanship. There ain't nothing. When he does it, he does it right. And then we go out and get in our own lives and we make a mess of things and we have to come back and we have to get restored again. I'm glad he's in the remodeling business, aren't you? We're working on a house right now and we're having to gut some floors up and repaint all the walls. I'm glad that we're serving one that does an even better job than we can do. I hate painting. I hate carpentry. I hate all that stuff. But we're going to do it anyway try to save a little money. And Sometimes I make a mess out of things, have to tear it out and redo it. And this house that we're looking at right now, we're doing some work to it over my mom and dad's place. And Well, whoever lived in there before, they just made a mess and they built these rotten looking shelves and cabinets everywhere. And I went in and I've gutted it down so we can start from scratch. And a lot of times that's what we have to come and do with our Heavenly Father. Say, God, clean me. Oh, tear down all these things I've put inside myself. All these bad things I've done. All these things that's not fit for your kingdom. I come and I lay them before you. God, tear them all out. Remodel me after something that's worthy of your kingdom. And I know this, when he comes and does the remodeling, he does it right. Amen, he does a good job. And I'm glad that we can trust him in all these things. Verse number nine of Psalm 51 says, Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart. I think that's the key right here to becoming somebody after God's own heart. When you come and kneel down, when you've messed up, and all of you made a mess of things, and you just say this, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. That right spirit says a lot right there. A lot of times we come with a wrong spirit within us. Sometimes we come with a spirit of pride. Sometimes we come with a spirit of rebellion. God can't use nothing like that. I don't know about you, but I want to be somebody that God can use. God, renew a right spirit within me. One of humbleness, one that you can take and make a vessel of honor. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me.
I know this, it's a sad day when I've messed up and I've done something contrary to God's word and I know that I've sinned and I can't commune with him anymore because the spirit's departed from me. Boy, that's a lonely place to be, is it not? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you have been there. Maybe somebody here tonight is there right now. Can I tell you something? The only place to get this fixed is right here on your knees before God. Say, God created me a clean heart and renew this right spirit within me. Amen. Cast me not away from thy presence. Take not the Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then, boy, I like these transition words. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted unto thee. That's how we can stand up and tell you about the goodness of God. The only reason I can is because one day I experienced that goodness, amen. I can't explain to you how to be saved, but I can show you how God changed me and where he took me from and how he's working on me and every step in between. How can you tell something to somebody if you don't know nothing about it? I'm not going to buy a car from somebody that don't know anything about cars. I'm not going to buy tools from somebody that don't know anything about tools or how to use them. How are you going to teach somebody about God or Jesus if you don't have him dwelling within you right now? If you don't have that Holy Spirit down inside of you to flow through you and to speak through you, how is anybody going to know that there's a difference in you through Jesus Christ? Come. Lay your sins down before him and say, create in me this clean heart like David did. Deliver me from the blood guiltiness. Oh God, thou God of my salvation and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. Oh Lord, open thou my lips and my mouth shall show forth thy praise for thou desirest not sacrifice, else I would give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. This right here, this verse right here is the key to becoming somebody after God's heart. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou will not despise. I'm afraid sometimes we get proud within ourselves and we get proud of the sins that we've got because we think that we know better than God and we can hide it from Him. But if you want to be somebody after God's own heart tonight, it's going to take you coming in an old-fashioned altar with a broken spirit and a broken and a contrite heart. When you come like this, he will not turn you away. He will not despise you. Amen. Do good in thy good pleasure and design. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then they shall offer bullocks upon thine altar. God deserves the very best we can do for him. And I'm afraid a lot of times we give him second best. But I encourage you tonight, if you want to be somebody after the heart of God, if you want to be a man after God's heart, if you want to be a woman after, a, after God's heart or a boy or a girl, if you want to get after God's heart tonight, come like this. He's not interested in your power. He's not interested in your might. He's not interested in your position. But oh, he makes... Certain time for you when you come with a broken heart. This is what made David a man after God's heart. When Nathan told him, thou art the man. And David replied, create in me a clean heart. 
So friends, I ask you this. If you want to be somebody after God's heart, don't rely on your power or your position tonight. But pray to God that he would clean you up. Admit to him you've messed up. Admit to him you're a failure. We all fail. There's none good. No, not one. There's no righteousness that's good within us. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. And the best we've got on our best day is a stench in the nostrils of God. But I'm glad that he can take that and he can clean us up as it says, wash us whiter than snow. Amen. There's still power in that, in that. Amen. Do you want to be somebody after God's heart tonight? Well, I know this, I do, and I fail every day, but I want to strive to be a man after God's heart. Let's all stand to our feet. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word tonight, and God, I'm glad that there's promises in the word. God, if we humble ourselves down before you, oh God, and admit that we sin, and admit that we falter, and admit that we fail, God, if we confess our sins, God, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins. God, I'm glad that scripture's still in the word. And God, you're still the same God today. No matter how big or powerful we might get in this world, no matter how high of a position we may rise to, maybe within our work or in our church or wherever we're at, there's no position or no power that can compare to yours. You are the Almighty. You are the Omnipotent One. You are the Holy One. And God, we need you tonight to clean us, to wash us from all of our sins and all of our unrighteousness. Because God, I fail you every day. I fail you all the time. And I'm glad that when I do, I have an advocate with the Father making intercession for me, the all-powerful one sitting on your right hand, God that gave his life for us. And I'm glad that there's still power in that blood that he shed on Calvary. Lord, we thank you for being good to us. We thank you for your people's attention tonight. And God, we thank you for letting us just be in your house. God, you're worthy of all the praise of anything and all that's done. And God, we give you praise tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.